Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorba. Africa, Amka na Unai. Good morning and welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 6145 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19-meter band to Far West Africa. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Amanda Machaka, Tracy Bumgard and Fili Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, South Sudan military commanders meet to discuss the ceasefire and UN General Assembly gets underway today. In economics, South Africa slips further in Economic Freedom Index and in sports news, U.S. and Swiss authorities expand in the investigations into FIFA corruption. But first up, the news with Amanda Machaka. Good morning. Mozambique's main opposition party, Renamo, has boycotted peace talks with the ruling Frelimo for the second time, raising tensions further in the southern African nation, where sporadic clashes between the army and rebel gunmen have resumed. Renamo's member of parliament, Eduardo Namborete, says for as long as they don't have clear indications that the government is ready to accept their proposals, discussions are useless. Peace talks were introduced two years ago after Renamo began a low-level insurgency against the government to decades after its devastating 16-year civil war with Frilimo ended. Former Mozambican President Amando Kebuza and Renamo leader Afonso Lakama last year signed a ceasefire in Maputo, allowing Lakama to run in the October presidential election. A Namibian court has found 30 people guilty of high treason after a failed 1999 secession attempt marking the end of a marathon case. The judgment brought to an end the record 16-year court case that saw 379 state witnesses testifying against over 100 suspects facing a total of 278 charges. In August 1999, a rebel group attacked a town in the Caprivi Strip demanding independence for the 450-kilometer area in Namibia's far northeast, popular for its tropical rivers and wildlife. Eight people died in the attacks with rocket launchers, mortars and assault rifles. On a police station, a border post, the office of Namibia Broadcasting Corporation, the Mpacha military base and a bank in Katima Mulilo, the main town in the stretch of land north of Botswana. The rebellion was crushed days later. Among the guilty was Caprivi Liberation Army Command John Samboma. Egyptian billionaire Nagib Sawiris, who offered to buy a Mediterranean island to help hundreds of thousands of Syrians fleeing war, says he is in talks to buy two private Greek islands. The businessman announced earlier this month that he was looking to buy an island which would host the migrants and provide jobs for them building their new country. More than 2,300 people have died at sea trying to reach Europe since January, many of them Syrians fleeing their country's four-and-a-half-year conflict. says he had been approached by the United Nations Refugee Agency, UNHCR, to cooperate on the project, which he estimates would require a hundred million U.S. dollars to get off the ground. 
South Africa's Minister of Environmental Affairs, Edna Mulewa, has warned of the risks posed to Africa by climate change. Mulewa was speaking at a public lecture at the University of Johannesburg aimed at heightening awareness of the issue ahead of the United Nations Conference on Climate Change to be held in Paris in November. Now, along with other developing countries, South Africa and Africa in particular, talking about our continent, is at greater risk because of low levels of development and that their climate change adaptation efforts aren't on the scale of developed countries. That's why there's unevenness as well. Now, climate change poses one of the most serious threats to Africa's long-term sustainable development economic growth, and the quality of life to people. And finally, the outgoing President of the United Nations General Assembly, Sam Kutesa, has welcomed the decision to move the Intergovernmental Process on Security Council reform to a text-based negotiation. Speaking after the 69th session of the General Assembly adopted a negotiating text on reform, Kutesa welcomed the decision that will be carried forward to the 70th session that begins on Tuesday. A reform of the UN in general and the Security Council in particular has been the subject of debate and discussion for two decades. Kutesa elaborates. There is a text on which they can begin negotiations. In fact, in the last 10 or so years, in the international intergovernmental negotiating process, we have done everything except negotiate. So, so I think this is a movement forward. And yes, it has taken time, but there is always a first step. And I'm glad this first step has been taken at the end of this session. The headlines at the bottom of the hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you, Amanda. It's 806 Central African Time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on this Tuesday, September the 15th, the 258th day of 2015, with 107 days left in the year. Military commanders from the government of South Sudan and rebel faction are meeting in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa, to discuss how to implement a permanent military ceasefire. This is the first step towards implementation of the peace agreement that was signed by the warring parties in August this year. Koleta Wanjohi reports. After 20 months of internal conflict in South Sudan, the government and the rebel faction led by its former Vice President Riek Mashar signed a peace agreement in August this year. The peace agreement is yet to be implemented, and the first step is how to ensure that their military forces stop fighting permanently. Now, military commanders from both sides who have been steering the fighting on the ground are meeting in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, for five days. This is the first step towards the implementation of the signed agreement by implementing transitional security arrangements. The discussions around the transitional security arrangements will include activities and timeline matrix of permanent ceasefire arrangements such as the cessation of hostilities and disengagement of forces, separation and withdrawal of forces, assembly and cantonment of forces, redeployment of forces in the capital, 
and deployment of forces to provide security in areas like Juba, Bor, Malakal and Bentiu and other agreed areas in the agreement. Lieutenant General Malet Ruben Riak, the leader of the military commanders from the government of South Sudan Army, says that his team has been given full mandate by the government to deliberate with the rebel commanders. We are aware that it is not going to be easy or just to walk like you are walking in a park. There are so many interests at stake, not only between us and our brothers and sisters in opposition side, but also other parties for different reasons. But as long as the end goal is peace, we are ready for its implementation. The meeting will also be expected to deliberate on the establishment of joint operation command between the government and the rebel forces and the release of prisoners of war. Although the meeting is only being attended by the South Sudan government military and the forces of the rebel leader Riek Mashar, there are other armed militia groups in South Sudan that exist and cannot be controlled. Hence, they are not represented in these deliberations. And even with these two main military factions, there are also reports that there are military officers within their camps who are not happy that their principals signed the peace agreement. Major General James Koang, the leader of military commanders from the rebel faction, says that although they blame the government for continuous attacks on their military bases, even after the agreement was signed in August, his team of commanders is ready to find solutions to the insecurity in South Sudan. We heard the guard us. Troika and the and, uh, international community to restrain the regime in Juba so that the ceasefire are, can, can hold. Despite the continuous violation by the government of the Republic of South Sudan, we remain committed to the implementation of the peace agreement and permanent ceasefire to the fullest extent. Even as the military commanders face each other, fighting in areas in South Sudan continue to be reported. The ultimate expectation of their meeting is that there will be a formidable plan on how to integrate the rebel military into the national army, to have one national defense force, an aspect that some analysts say cannot be done in five days. The South Sudan military commanders who are meeting in Addis Ababa have insisted that they do not want to discuss the planned security arrangement in the presence of politicians, saying that the past 20 months of negotiation was for politicians and now they need only technical military experts if any progress is to be made in the given five days. Koleto Anjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. The outgoing president of the General Assembly has welcomed a decision to move the intergovernmental process on Security Council reforms to a tax-based negotiation. Speaking after the General Assembly adopted a negotiating text on reform, the president of the 69th session welcomed the decision that will be carried forward to the 70th session that begins today. Reform of the United Nations in general and the Security Council in particular has been the subject of debate and discussion for two decades. Show in Bryce Peace reports. The 102nd plenary meeting of the General Assembly is called order. A tangible development after years of hot air. Agreement here in the General Assembly placing intergovernmental negotiations on an irreversible text-based path. Outgoing GA President Sam Kutesa. There is a text on which they can begin negotiations. In fact, in the last 10 or so years, 
in the international intergovernmental negotiating process, we have done everything except negotiate. So, so I think this is a movement forward. And yes, it has taken time, but there's always a first step. And I'm glad this first step has been taken at the end of this session. 115 heads of state or government at last year's September session called for the reform of the council, a process frustrated by several groupings who have been unable to agree on compromises that can move the process forward, from whether or not to enlarge the number of permanent seats, extend the veto, or do away with it completely, expand the number of non-permanent seats, and so on. Kutesa called for a mindset change, without which the UN's credibility was being harmed. The failures to perform are themselves an indictment to our current arrangement. These migration, migrants you see are clearly a result of failure to maintain peace and security. It is, it is there. It, it's happening daily. And we're watching it on our television sets and, and we're, we're actually countenancing human disaster. These pressures cannot be ignored. Notably, Russia, the United States and China did not contribute their positions for inclusion in the final text adopted by the General Assembly for negotiation. Kutesa warned those countries that continued to block reform that they would soon be isolated by those seeking change. They should intensify the negotiations. It's not easy for people to give away what they have monopolized before. But that means that if you don't take immediate decisions and make reform, uh, a priority, you risk making the United Nations irrelevant, irrelevant. So it is enlightened self-interest that we make these reforms to keep our uh, organization relevant and effective in the maintenance of, particularly in the maintenance of international peace and security. Several countries are seeking permanent seats on a reformed council, among them Japan, Pakistan and India, in Africa, South Africa and Nigeria, Germany as the largest economy in Europe, and from South America, Brazil. I'm Sherman Bricepies in New York. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Africa, wake up. Africa, Africa, revetua. Africa, Africa, wema. Sun rising. Le soleil élevé. Weya wema. What's in the happen Africa? Africa, Dumelang Sanbonani. Africa, Mulishani, Mulibwanji. Africa, Enyomi, Kilonshele. Africa, Ndinkim, Kinkunume. What's in the happen Africa? It doesn't matter where you come from. Lesotho, Kenya, Zambia, Ghana, Nigeria, Tanzania, Congo, Liberia, Togo, Ethiopia, DRC, South Africa, Swaziland, Morocco, Botswana, Gabon, Zimbabwe, Mauritania, Senegal, Sierra Leone, Liberia. It doesn't matter where you're from, we are one people. Channel Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is DJ Cleo with G Exploits from Nigeria. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Investing heavily in school computers and classroom technology does not improve pupils' performance, says a global study from the OECD. The report says those students who use tablets and computers very often tend to do worse than those who use them moderately. The report says in the past 15 years, schools and families around the world spent a substantial amount of money on computers, internet connections and software for educational use. Yet the benefits of these investments for children 
children's learning are not clear. Now, our question to you today is, do you think technology in the classroom is a helpful tool or a distraction? Give us your thoughts and your views on email at info at channelafrica.co.za or send an SMS on 277-969-57930 or get a hold of us on Twitter at Rise Africa or at Channel Africa 1. Do you think technology in the classroom is a helpful tool or a distraction? Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. It's 8.16 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Human rights groups have expressed concerns over government's closure of Burundi's main private radio stations and the risks faced by human rights defenders and journalists in the country. Four months ago, four main independent media outlets were destroyed and government says investigations are still continuing to identify people who destroyed them but also to find out their role in the foiled May 13th military coup. Bernard Bankukira reports from Bujumbura. On May 14, 2015, a day after the foiled military coup, a group of armed men in military and police uniforms attacked Radio Sanganero, Radio Bonesha, the public radio or RPA, and radio television Renaissance. Those radios are accused of having a hand in the May 13th coup after giving airspace to the coup plotters to announce it. Till now, no idea of reopening any of them. It's a total disappointment for their personnel. Emeline Morakeye is one of the journalists of Radio Bonesha. She regrets that Burundian citizens are denied their rights of information and asks the government to allow the destroyed outlets reopen. Four months of silence delayed you. It's too long. Imagine that people in Ibujumbula and in the countryside are denied their rights of information while the rights of information is one of the fundamental lights of every citizen in Burundi and in the world. There are almost four months since investigations were started to identify those who destroyed our radio. But until now, nothing has been done. I ask the judiciary to act quickly so as to reopen those radios. Ces radios rouvrent. Samson Manarukunda is the acting director of Radio Sanganiro. Its director fled to Rwanda early after her station was destroyed. Mr. Samson regrets that the investigations are lasting too long while they continue to pay for rooms they rented as they are not using them. I'm really disappointed because four months of investigation looks like too long for me. I doubt even if the current investigation will not be like others we have seen in the past which did, didn't take and For me, I could appreciate judiciary if today they could have established the responsibilities so that each person be pursued individually by the justice for what he has done according to the law. Today, we have no access to the office while we continue to pay the rent. We are not working. Some contracts have been interrupted because of the lack of the funds. Uh, some employees fled just a day after the coup d'etat. 
others stayed into the country but with fear with limited movement in such conditions you understand that uh, it's too hard but uh, for a time being broadcasting program are not possible however we are using the website of the radio by posting articles interviews Pop. Till now, the government has showed no will of allowing the destroyed radios restart their activities. Samson Manadukunda urges the government to think of the population relying just on rumors and violent messages relayed through social networks. There is no promise of reopening the radio, but we hope that it's time for the government to realize that there is no democracy without liberty of expression, different opinions. They tell us that they have not finished the, the investigations and they are still uh, waiting till the day they say they are ready. Um, I suggest that uh, or I request to the government uh, to reopen the destroyed media and allow them to continue working so that they fulfill their mission of informing the population, especially during these days of remorse and violence messages which are circulating through the social networks. After the military coup was foiled, several journalists fled to the neighboring countries, especially to Rwanda, as several others who chose to stay in the country spent a couple of days hidden. Till now, they are not allowed to enter the premises of their destroyed radios. All efforts to come to a solution haven't yet borne any positive results. For Channel Africa, this is Bernard Bankokira reporting from Bujumbura. The Free Market Foundation, in conjunction with Canada's Fraser Institute, has released the Economic Freedom of the World 2015 Annual Report. South Africa ranks 96 out of 157 countries and territories included in the report. Last year, the country ranked 89. Hong Kong again tops the index, continuing its streak of number one rankings. To discuss this further, we are now joined on the line by Eustace Davy from the Free Market Foundation. Good morning, Eustace, and welcome to Channel Africa and Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning. Now, firstly, what does the report seek to uncover, and what does it really measure? It uh, measures the best conditions um, and worst conditions that one can have in an economy, um, the state of freedom in an economy, and it makes a big difference uh, what, what level of freedom there is in a country. Uh, when you look at uh, the rankings, the, the most free countries, um, the average per, ca- you know, the per capita GDP in, the, in those countries is 38,601, uh, according to this report. Now, that converts to 520,000 uh, rand uh, per capita GDP, and South Africa is in the third quarter of the rankings, and the per capita GDP for those countries is an average of $10,700. Uh, that converts to um, 145,000. And then the poorest 10% of people in the most free countries earn uh, an average of uh, about 130,000 rand um, per year, which is uh, only slightly lower than the average uh, GD- GDP per capita in the third quarter. 
uh, group of countries where South Africa falls. In other words, if you have greater economic freedom, there w people will have higher incomes, uh, which is very important, uh, apart from the, the other freedoms that, that they enjoy. Um, the um, definition of economic freedom is, and the cornerstones of economic freedom are personal choice, voluntary exchange, freedom to compete, and security of privately owned property. Those are the most important factors in a free economy. Now, you says the report says uh, South Africa is basically um, declining with regards to the economic freedom. Uh, freedom. Now, what does this mean for South Africa included with the other countries that uh, have been analysed? Well, um, South Africa, the different measures, they measure five areas, the size of government, legal system and property rights in the country, whether the country has sound money, whether there's freedom to trade internationally, and then the level of regulation. And South Africa, the size of government, uh, South Africa's government is too dominant in the economy uh, with a, a rating of 5.53 out of 10, uh, whereas countries where government is not dominant, they are about 8 out of 10, like, like Hong Kong, where the government does not dominate the economy. And... and they don't have high regulations, a lot of red tape. They're free to trade internationally. If you look at Hong Kong, they have almost no tariff barriers uh, on a few things like uh, cigarettes and liquor, otherwise zero. Um, sound money, South Africa does fairly well in the sound money region. It could be a bit better. Uh, and the legal system and property rights uh, in South Africa, we get 5.81 out of 10, um, and uh, that means that the legal system is not functioning properly. We know uh, the courts are overloaded in South Africa, and <clears throat> property rights are continually under threat. Well, one of the sad things about South Africa is that in 2000, we were 42nd in the world, and we've gone down 54 places. Uh, down to 96, which uh, uh, is, is really sad for our people. And it, it tells you why um, people are so concerned uh, in the country. It, they are... Uh, the, the, the freedoms have been declining in South Africa. We're back in 1994, the first period was exceptionally good. Now, what should South Africa do to adopt uh, policies um, that will improve its ranking and attract investors? Because clearly this, this also impacts on investment coming into the country. Uh, that's correct. Um, our foreign direct investment, uh, we have very strange ways of dealing with foreigners. Uh, we make it very difficult for them, and uh, the, the FDI has been declining, whereas in other African countries it has been um, it, it has been improving. 
during these times. And uh, is, it shows up in the, in the figures. South Africa is 12th on the list of sub-Saharan Africa countries. You know, we have ahead of us um, the, the African country with the greatest level of economic freedom is Mauritius. And it is sixth in the world, which is marvelous. Then we have Rwanda at 3034. Then we go to Uganda, Kenya, Botswana, Gambia, Seychelles, Cape Verde, Zambia, Tanzania, Swaziland, and then eventually South Africa, which is shocking. South Africa shouldn't be so low down on the economic freedom scale. Now, you says in terms of uh, the other countries that you mentioned, you know, uh, uh, as part of a continent inclusive with South Africa, um, what are they doing differently um, to ensure that uh, FD, FDIs are filtering through into their countries and, uh, you know, their ranking is not as low as, as South Africa, as you say? Yes, uh, it, it's in, the, in these various areas of, of the economy. Um, you know, if you look at... If you look at Mauritius, um, sixth in the world, uh, and the size of government, uh, the rating there is 7.87 out of 10, whereas South Africa is down at 5.35. Sound money, um, Mauritius is better than South Africa on on looking after the, the value of money. It's 9.67 out of 10. Freedom to trade internationally. Uh, Mauritius opened up its its economy to foreign trade. And the rating there is 8.49 out of 10, which is, uh, which is great. And they've reduced regulation in the country um, to make it easier, re- reduce the red tape to make it easier for the, um, for people to earn a living to, to trade with each other and so on. Uh, that is what it's all about, is freeing up the economy, not to make things harder for people. I mean, just look at the what's happened in tourism in South Africa. South Africa was supposed to go for increasing tourism to you know, Im- improve the, 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 the lot of South Africans, and now we have these visa laws that are chasing away people. It's, it's is really a strange way to try and attract trade. Eustace, thank you so much for joining us. Unfortunately, we have to leave it there for now. A pleasure. That was Eustace Davey from the Free Market Foundation joining us on the line. It's exactly 8.30 Central African time, and our headlines up next with Amanda Machaka. Thank you, Lulu. Good morning. Mozambique's main opposition party, Renamo, boycotts peace talks with the ruling freedom for the second time, raising tensions further in the country where sporadic clashes between the army and rebel gunmen have resumed. Military commanders from the government of South Sudan and rebel factions meet in Ethiopia to discuss how to implement a permanent military ceasefire. And outgoing president of the United Nations General Assembly welcomes a decision to move the intergovernmental process on Security Council reform to a text-based negotiation. Details at the top of the hour.
Africa rise and shine Africa zorka Africa amka na unai Today's question we ask you do you think technology in the classroom is a helpful tool or a distraction give us your thoughts on email at info@channelafrica.co.za Send an SMS on 277-969-57930 or get a hold of us on Twitter at Rise Africa or at Channel Africa One. Do you think technology in the classroom is a helpful tool or a distraction? Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Let's go back in time to today in 1984. The leader of the Labour Party, the Reverend H.J. Allen Hendrickser and Amichand Rajbanzi of the National People's Party are appointed to the South African Cabinet as Chairman of the Minister's Councils, but neither is given a ministerial portfolio. Both these leaders had accepted the, tri- the trisomeral parliament introduced by President P.W. Borta as a part of his constitutional reforms. Hendricks and Rajbanzi were representative of colored and Indian people in the House of Representatives and House of Delegates, respectively. That was Today in History in 1984. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Africa, wake up. Africa, Africa, revetua. Africa, Africa, wema. Sun rising. What's in the happen Africa? Africa, Dumelang, San Bonani. Africa, Mulishani, Pulibanj. Africa, Ayanyomi, Kilonshele. Africa, Ndinkim, Kinkunume. What's in the happen Africa? It doesn't matter where you come from. Lesotho, Kenya, Zambia, Ghana, Nigeria, Tanzania, Congo, Liberia, Togo, Ethiopia, DRC, South Africa, Swaziland, Morocco, Botswana, Gabon, Zimbabwe, Mauritania, Senegal, Sierra Leone, Liberia. It doesn't matter where you're from, we are one people. Channel Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is DJ Cleo with G Exploits from Nigeria. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. It's 8.34 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Zimbabwe is slowly migrating into a scary political landscape as popular political parties gear up for elections more than two years ahead of time. Over the weekend, a new political party, the People's Democratic Party, was born out of the main opposition movement for democratic change, whilst on the other end, the ruling party was in a panic mood. Simon Machema reports from Harare. There was joy, pomp and wild celebrations in the Zimbabwean capital Harare over the weekend 
following the birth of a new political party, People's Democratic Party. PDP was born out of the main opposition movement for democratic change, the strongest opposition since independence in 1980. Activists who were formerly MDC decided to form their own political party, PDP, in their quest to topple 91-year-old President Robert Mugabe, who has been at the helm of the country since 1980. Formation of the new political party, PDP, placed Zimbabwe into the election mood as other parties began repositioning themselves. Meanwhile, PDP is led by former finance minister Tendai Biti, who left MDC in a half, accusing Morgan Changrai of running short of ideas. However, Zimbabwean elections would be interesting, as Biti says he would not be contesting in the 2018 polls against Mugabe. Those who know me will know that uh, I'm a very reluctant uh, president. I've taken this uh, very reluctantly. Uh, and if I in my way, I wouldn't have done this. Uh, but history has bestowed this uh, upon me. I, I've said it publicly that I've done my part. Uh, I've contributed, but unfortunately, the transition has been arrested. Uh, unfortunately, we have to finish what we started. I had uh, fantastic offers from outside the country, but I went and came back because I wouldn't feel right uh, staying in a five-star apartment in, in Maryland when uh, people are suffering uh, here. So we have to finish what we have uh, started. And one of the things that we have defined in this constitution is that we, we are putting limited terms of office and the party president is not the presidential uh, candidate. I have put that uh, as the person who is writing that uh, constitution. It, however, said Zimbabweans are in a 35-year prison term and are striving for liberty. The biggest challenge of uh, every Zimbabwean right now is, number one, how do we get out of this danger? How do we get out of this prison brought about by 35 years of ZANU-PF uh, misrule? Uh, so to me, it's very simple. We have to come together uh, as uh, Zimbabweans. There has to be convergence. We have to come together as opposition political parties. So we will strive to ensure that that coalition will be built. Uh, we are very strong as a movement in terms of ideas and policies. You have seen the policies that we have written and crafted, arrest, uh, hope. We are already right now, as I'm speaking, crafting a 40-year vision for Zimbabwe called ideas. So we are very strong. So we will occupy that niche so that we can give ideas to the opposition movement that can take our country forward. So we are very clear. Number one, let's create a coalition of winners. Let's create a coalition of champions. The new PDP president said Zimbabweans long for peace and happiness. So it's not about power. It's about the pursuit of happiness. We just want to be free. We just want to follow our dreams. Before ZANU-PF messed up, I was a young, vibrant lawyer. We used to party, go to nightclubs and so forth. But once the struggle came, I couldn't. I long for that, that life. Uh, which is why I said all we want is that Zimbabwe that can give opportunities to young people like you. Your generation is going to die without a home. You're not going to be able to have a, a roof, even a house in, in Kwadzana extension. And that's not good enough. You know, that's not good enough. Meanwhile, on one end of the capital, Zimbabwean President Robert Mugabe appeared to be in a panic mode and in unprecedented move reshuffled his cabinet for the third time in nine months. 
Mugabe brought in new faces in what analysts say he is now paranoid following intentions shown by the ousted Vice President Joyce Mujuru to form a new opposition party. This could unsettle the ruling ZANU-PF as the nation gets into the election mode two years ahead of the polls in 2018. Uh, in terms of Section 104, subsection 1 of the Constitution of uh, Zimbabwe Amendment number 20 of 2018, His Excellency the President, Comrade Ara Jim Gabe, has made the following ministerial appointments. Honorable Joram MacDonald Gumbo is the new Minister of Transport and Infrastructural Development. Honorable Abednego Nube, who is still to be sworn in, is the Minister of Rural Development and the Preservation of National Cultural Heritage. Honorable Makosine Tongwani, Minister Without Portfolio. Patrick Joao, Minister of Youth, Indigenization and Economic Empowerment. That was Secretary in the President's Office, Dr. Mishek Sibanda, announcing the new cabinet on Friday. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. It's 8.40 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Let's go back in time to today in 1984. The leader of the Labour Party, the Reverend H.J. Allen Hendrickser and Amichand Rajbanzi of the National People's Party are appointed to the South African Cabinet as Chairman of the Minister's Councils, but neither is given a ministerial portfolio. Both these leaders had accepted the Tricameral Parliament introduced by President P.W. Borta as a part of his constitutional reforms. Hendrickser and Rajbanzi were res- representative of colored and Indian people in the House of Representatives and House of Delegates, respectively. That was today in history in 1984. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka. Authorities in India's capital, New Delhi, have ordered an extra 1,000 beds for public hospitals to treat dengue patients following the suicide of a couple whose seven-year-old son died after allegedly being refused treatment at a number of city hospitals. Hospitals have also been asked to postpone surgeries by one month so that beds could be freed for dengue patients. Over 1,000 dengue cases have been recorded in the city so far this year. Rana Sen has more. New Delhi's government hospitals were bursting at their seams with dengue patients as the epidemic peaked with 1,259 recorded cases. The city government also said it would turn doctors' chambers into ICUs for the flood of people needing urgent care. The epidemic is the worst since 2009 when 1,512 cases were reported in Delhi and Indian Health Minister J.P. Nadda told Newsbreak he would not take no for an answer from those running healthcare services in the crowded capital city of 19 million people. All hospitals have been asked to keep required amount of beds, designated beds and wards for dengue and a complete exercise has been done. This complete exercise has been done with Delhi government also. 
and we had a workshop with the municipal corporators also what they have to do and protocols have been fixed and decided accordingly exercise has been done they have to follow it if it has not been followed action will be taken accordingly i have asked the delhi government to submit a report physician shalini pandey who tried to save in vain the 7 year old boy last thursday said a deadly strain of dengue virus was amok in delhi this year dengue this time my personal experience is that it is very aggressive it's a different strain which is going on around the mortality rate is very high we are losing children this time more than what we have lost in past 3 or 4 or 5 years uh, this time we have seen uh, much more surge of patients that we had prepared for and uh, i think private hospitals also and public hospitals are also facing a bigger challenge this time and as the child's death and subsequent suicide by his distraught parents shocked and stunned indians vinod raina of the country's largest healthcare chain fortis said the tragedy reflected a national policy failure there has been underfunding for the last 30 35 years for the health services there is just not enough money has been put in the health services and you are seeing the results now India spends less than 1% of GDP on healthcare which is less than what Bangladesh and some other countries spend so this is bound to happen unless the government invests much more in healthcare this situation will continue for many many years an indian cardiac surgeon devi shetty who has patients from africa to the middle east had this to say as fearful families began fleeing delhi to tide over the health crisis pediatrician alone can't manage you need to have pediatric intensivist you need to have pediatric nurses a country which produces 26 million babies a year we only had 20000 active pediatricians in the country now the government promises to add more beds adding more bed spending more money is not going to solve the problem instead of trying to build robust manpower we are talking about spending money and adding beds it is not going to solve the problem five hospitals which refused to admit the boy have been asked to explain their conduct lakshmi chandra and wife babita raut jumped from a high rise building two days after their only son avinash vomited blood and died in the arms of his helpless parents this is rana sen reporting from new delhi it's 8:45 central african time and our economics update up next with tracy bumgard Thank you, Lulu. South Africa has declined in rank in the annual Economic Freedom Index released this week. The index shows the country declined to 96th out of 157 countries and territories from 89th in the previous year's index. The Free Market Foundation released the report. South Africa was ranked 42nd in the year 2000. Amina Akram reports. The Free Market Foundation says the steady decline of the country's economic freedom is a result of government's insistence on dominating the economy and frustrating the public sector. Tembano Lutungu is a director at Free Market Foundation. The government's policies have tended to have the impact of encroaching into the private sector domain and we are losing to neighboring countries in sub-Saharan Africa. Hong Kong has topped the list this year followed by Singapore. The lowest ranked countries are mostly from Africa. They include Angola and Democratic Republic of Congo. Mozambique is in the bottom category of transparency when it comes to its national budget. This is according to the International Budget Partnership's Open Budget Survey 2015, which measures budget transparency and accountability around the world. 
The survey was done with the help of the country's human rights organization, the Center for Public Integrity, CRP. Each country is given a score out of 100, which determines its ranking on the Open Budget Index, the world's only independent and comparative measure of budget transparency. Mozambique scored 38 out of 100, which is moderately lower than the global average score of 45. George Martini is one of the researchers at the CIP. Right now, we, 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 the last report was 48, so we lost almost uh, um, 10 points, 9 points, which is not good for our um, efforts that have been done in the country for more transparency on the, on the uh, government uh, business. So the, 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 the results show that we, the government of Mozambique provides to the public with minimal budget information. So we are saying that there is a lot of uh, effort that has been done the last years, but it's not consistent. And the information which is available is not on time. So that's why Mozambique lost most of the points on budget transparency. A plan to start building Kenya's first coal-fired power plant in October has been delayed. Francis Njogu, CEO of Amu Power Company, says the group needs the National Land Commission to finish a resettlement plan for the site before it can submit an environmental impact report. Selina Interbong reports. The venture by Kenya and China aims to boost Kenya's installed capacity. The consortium, which won the contract last year, comprises of Kenyan firms Centum Investment and Gulf Energy, along with Chinese companies China Hudian Corporation Power Operation Company, Sichuan Electric Power Design and Consulting Company, and Sichuan Number no. 3 Power Construction Company. Reporting for Channel Africa News, I am the Bank of Ghana has raised its main policy rate by 100 basis points to 25% to offset the risk of inflation. The West African nation started a three-year aid program worth 918 million U.S. dollars with the International Monetary Fund in April to restore fiscal balance. Ghana's economy has been dogged by a high fiscal deficit, a debt-to-GDP level close to 70% and a falling SEDI currency. Taking a look at the financial indicators, the U.S. dollar is trading at 13.54 South African Rand, at 10.24 Botswana Pula and at 9.73 Zambian Kwacha. It is also trading at 0.64 to the British pound and at 0.88 to the euro. In the commodities, gold is trading at $1,107, platinum is at $952 an ounce, and the price of Brent crude oil is at $46.28 a barrel. Thank you, Tracy. Our sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. In our sports update this hour, U.S. and Swiss authorities say their investigation into corruption in world soccer is still active with additional charges against individuals and entities anticipated. 
At a joint news conference in Zurich, U.S. Attorney General Loretta Lynch and Switzerland's Attorney General Michael Loba say their separate investigations into soccer's world governing body FIFA and attended organizations were expanding and they were working with other countries around the world. Loba says houses had been searched and banks had scrutinized account transactions during the search for corrupt dealings. House searches have been conducted in the western part of Switzerland and further evidence has been collected. Where proportional and needed financial assets have been seized, including real estate, for example, flats in the Swiss Alps. As of today, 121 different bank accounts have been brought to the attention of our task force by the Swiss Financial Intelligence Unit, EMROS. Lynch asked if FIFA President Sepp Blatter is under investigation and if he could travel freely without fear of arrest and extradition, but says she would not comment on individual cases. I'm not going to comment at this time on individuals who may or may not be the subject of the next round of arrests, and so therefore I'm not able to give you information about Mr. Blatter's travel plans. In rugby news, Springboks defence coach John McFarland says he's very pleased with where the Springbok team is with their conditioning and says it is also pleasing to see the amount of work the players are doing working on their defence at training. McFarland was speaking from the Springbok team hotel in Eastbourne where the team is based ahead of the first Rugby World Cup match against Japan in Brighton on Saturday. Oh, I think we've worked really hard over the over the period now. Certainly the, all the testing that's been done shows the conditioning levels have increased dramatically. And you can see it just in our in-game stats over the eight-week period, even in the championship over the four-week period. You could see guys were getting up off the floor quicker. There were second efforts being made, all of that. So we're really pleased. I'm pleased where we are now. I think our conditioning is better. We certainly be good in training, but you know, we, the test is always on the Saturday. And it never changes. In rugby, still McFarland is expecting Japan to play with a high tempo and also knows that they will be fully committed to the cause with some of the players playing super rugby and a world-class coach in former Wallabies mentor Eddie Jones. McFarland says it will be important for the Springboks to dictate the pace of the game and not to allow the Japanese to take the initiative. Definitely. I mean, it's up to us to control the tempo of the game. They've, they've certainly got some players who've got super rugby experience. And, you know, I mean, they're a well-coached team. I mean, they're coached by a guy who's been involved with the side that's won the World Cup and played in a World Cup final. So they, they know what they're about. They're well-organised. And, you know, we're expecting a quick game. You know, they'll try and take, take us off the pace of our game. So we must be ready for anything. In football news, the Ghana women's team and the Burkina Faso men's teams emerged luckier during the draw of Lords for places at the semis of the ongoing 11th All-Africa Games currently underway in Congo-Brazzaville. Ghana was picked ahead of South Africa at a brief ceremony held at the Quintela Sports Complex. The fate of the Banyana Banyana side was decided during the drawing of Lords after both countries, South Africa and Ghana, couldn't be separated after finishing with an equal number of points and the same goal difference in Group B. And finally, with cricket news, Zimbabwe have recalled wicketkeeper batsman Richard, that's Richmond Mutumbami, for the series of two 2020s and three one-dayers at home to Pakistan that start later this month. He replaces Regis Chakamwa, who was behind the stumps for New Zealand's tour in August. 
26-year-old Mutombami was dropped after a poor ODI series against India the previous month. Also included against Pakistan is Sima Daurai Muzarabani, who has played in 320s but is yet to make his 50-over debut. Pakistan arrived next week Thursday with the first 2020 match to be played three days later. The teams played three ODI games between the 1st and the 5th of October with all fixtures on the tour to be staged at the Harare Sports Club. And that's your sport news this hour. SABC brings to you Rugby World Cup 2015 live on SABC2 and SABC radio stations. Let's do this. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories in Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa. South Sudan military commanders meet to discuss the ceasefire and UN General Assembly gets underway today. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Pumuzora Magadza, technical producer Rivalino Ibrahim, and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. Send us an SMS on 277-969-57930. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to southern Africa is Fela Kuti with the song title Shakara.
Shakara woman, tell her I say, my dear, I like you. She can sing. You like you? Who you like? Come on, the daddy. Hmm. Look at this man. Where you come from, self? Hmm. Hmm. I be me or you? Not as me, oh. Ah. You see, she won't do. Now, Shakara, they call her Shakara Loji. They get a song for them. They sing them like this. They go sing.